But first, before we do an A or a C or anything, tell me about how you're feeling about Prince Harry. Um, is he going to wear an SS uniform to the wedding? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bringing it back. Also, who's the friend? Bringing it back to his dark past. Dark past. Yeah, who's the friend that set them up? I was I watched like this bit of an interview and they were like, oh yeah, a friend set us up and then they both were like, oh, but we can't say who it was. And I'm like, what friend? Who, what? Yeah, who was yeah, so it? They were set up on a blind date. So like what friend is like, oh, you know who you should go on a blind date with? The Prince of England. I think that that story is BS and they don't want to tell us how they really met. How do you reckon they met? He, they were both doing Probably, <laughs> I think they met on um, Tinder on Match.com. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think. Um, or maybe like, what's the Tinder that's for famous people? Is there a Tinder for famous people? There is. What? Like you have to like a you have to be apply and yeah, like you have to be famous to be on it. I just cannot imagine anything more horrifying than yeah, trying, like because being famous is like a career right mm-hmm. a tinder like imagine me swiping on a tinder that was just comics people and then having to go to comic shows it's very similar to my current situation but with an app involved you know <laughs> it is a complete nightmare complete yeah so nightmare. i want to yeah i want to know how they met and yeah. um but he, he doesn't really have to do anything now because willie's got so many babies i know he just needs to like hang back and be fabulous i do enjoy him though you know i all his charities like he he's the fun royal yeah he's the right man for the time i yeah we all make i prefer him we all make mistakes (laughs) but someone in his position should not have ever thought that wearing an ss uniform was a good idea (laughs) It's true. It's very, I know. very, very true. It was a long time ago. I had forgotten ago, about it too. I like I totally forgot. I just, it baffles me. It baffles me that he ever was like, I used to really, cause you know, I like a ginger man, but. He probably just um, pulled it from Prince Philip's closet. <laughs> Lauren. Yeah, probably. No, that's true. <laughs> probably. I um went through an, like, an intense period of time studying the royals when I was a kid because I of course um like my first big big crush was on like yeah like William and Harry and I had um like an angel fire website like I really credit them with teaching me you know about the internet because like my interest in the royals is what you know brought me online (laughs) in the days of AOL the first website I ever built was about the disability ramps at the um Oh, what's the fort called in Portsmouth? Was this for like a school the, project then? It, yeah, it was for a school project. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, or were you just like really interested in that? We were doing this whole project. So it was summer school because I was a really cool kid. Um, and yeah, we this guy from IBM came in who's teaching us about building websites. And yeah, um, we had to do websites about disabled access to historic places around Portsmouth. Uh, or like points of wow. interest and so I spent an afternoon walking around a shopping centre with a hoodie pulled over my eyes 
to experience life as someone who could not see. This is quite the assignment. It was like two weeks of going into school when no one else was there and building a website and we didn't win. <laughs> I was furious. That's because you were beat by my Prince William website, which was banging. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. I used to... I used to scan all the pictures from Royalty Magazine. I like asked my mom to get a subscription, I think when I was like 12 or something. I was like, can you get a subscription to Royalty Magazine? And there was another British magazine that I wanted. I think I wanted like Tatler or something. Because I was like, well, I need like the official pictures, but then I also need like gossip as well for my website. So I need to subscribe to to magazines to get these things. And um, I remember my mom, like, I know, right? Like, she had like a real sit down with me at one point because she's like, listen, I know you have feelings for these boys. (laughs) But like, just FYI, like, just so you know, like, you know, like, you're like a black American girl. And they're just, this just is like, it's not going to happen for you. How do you feel about it? Harry's uh, <laughs> I think she's great. She seems awesome. I don't really know much about go. her. She's pretty, pretty gal. And uh, I do know that my mom today texted me and was like, well, I guess I'll just have to eat my words. Yeah. <laughs> you should have gone for I, it. You should have gone for it, Lauren. I could have, I could have been the next Duchess of Sussex, which I think might be her title. Well, I mean... I've got to. I've got to come clean. I don't care about hmm. the royal family as much as you do. Um, oh, so I've I know. run out of things to say. I could. Bring- Have you been to Buckingham Palace? You should go. I haven't been inside it. I've been outside Dude, it a lot it, of times. I went in and I did the audio tour. It was like a religious experience. We I should cried. do an audio tour. <laughs> <laughs> I would happily do an audio tour of Buckingham Palace for anyone that's interested. <laughs> we could do a group visit. Lauren is really excited about this object and Hannah is not impressed. No, I would actually, I would really like to go. I like old things. Should we talk about this North and South book? Probably. I think that's why people are here. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) No Lily facts this week, Lauren? No, we can't do it, guys. We can't do it. Because we've just used up all of our Lily Fax time on the Royals. That's your fault. I would have just stuck <laughs> it through. Did you know Harry's engaged and also once he wore a really offensive Halloween costume and then moved on? <laughs> That's like the Harry summary. Speaking of <laughs> concise summary, <laughs> chapter 44, he's not peace. <laughs> No intro this week to the show. Just oh. We just go right in. <laughs> I mean, come on. Whoever's listening has just sat through like 25 minutes about you telling us about some Dreamweaver website you built about two boys that you haven't <laughs> met. Like, you're right. My bad. It's true. <laughs> if, um, if they have made it to this point, I don't know who would just like be listening to this episode out of all of the episodes <laughs> for the first time. <laughs> You know, if they are here for the last North and South recap, then they probably listen to the show and they probably know that I am Lauren and you are Hannah. And we're both team And Gaston. 
We're both Team Gaskell. And by the way, <laughs> Lauren does mean you, listener. That's right. Take a minute. Think about the situation you're in. Maybe you're sat listening to us on the bus on your way to work or you're sat at home and you're all tucked in for bed. We're speaking directly to you. We are. (laughs) And we want you to pat yourself on the back because we have made it to the end of North and South, all 52 chapters. Welcome. Welcome. Oh, this is a weird intro. We've lost our minds. It is. We're going to keep it all. It's because I was drinking earlier and then I cried and now it's 1am. Exactly. <laughs> can, I do my, and can I do my chaps now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. I've been waiting to do this chapter all week because I totally thought I had to read chapter 44 for last week and I write all of my notes for it and uh, we didn't use it. So I've been... I've been sitting with this information for a little while. Uh, A little while. (laughs) You're so excited for this chapter. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I lost you. I was like, is she gone? No, I was yawning. Okay. Okay. (laughs) It's funny because my first note is like, love this chapter title. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, uh, so <laughs> chapter 44 is called Ease Not Peace. And I'm mm. pretty sure that everyone can relate to being at someone's house, not having much to do, not being very comfortable. You know, like sometimes I am at my grandma's house and I am having a very quiet, serene time, but I'm super anxious because it's too quiet. and I don't have yeah. any of my stuff. And although they don't live in the middle of nowhere, it just... I just feel like my life has stopped. Yeah. Like it doesn't feel like real time. And I like that's the sense that I think we start getting from uh, Margaret's return to Harley Street. So she's gone back, Mm -hmm. she's staying with the Lennoxes. Edith is in her confinement. Uh, Well, so it's the period just after she's given birth. So we figured it out. And thank you, Nikita, for helping us sort out those thoughts that we were working our way through in last week's episode. Edith has had a I love second that, like, baby. Second baby. I love that before the baby is born, it's called an interesting time. And then afterwards, it's a confinement. Well, I think you're confined great, before great you words. give birth as well. Okay, yeah, you're right. Because it's just like the period where you need to be resting up because uh, like stillbirth and like death and childbirth and stuff was so common. So Edith right. is still confined. So she's in bed rest and um yeah she just needs to regain her strength because giving birth mm-hmm. in the victorian days really rips you apart basically still does guys so, I, I mean i don't know i've just given birth to two cats and they came out pretty fine um, <laughs> mags is falling back into her old habit she's like giving everyone a lending hand i don't want to say that she's a dog's body because you know she is happy but she's kind of stepped back into this role of just being a caregiver and like being the person that fetches stuff for people or stays in if someone needs to stay in or repairs dresses if they need repairing, you know, like, yeah. And like her aunt and her cousin have like sorted out a new wardrobe and stuff for her. Like that sounds really nice. She's come back to London and suddenly she's dressing very fashionably again. She's getting this money from Mr. Bell. Like it's all very nice. Uh, you know she's missing she's missing her 
power and authority over her own life that she had in Milton. And actually, yeah. she uh, the way that she's thinking in this chapter is beginning to change. There's a point where she refers to the wheels of machinery of daily life were well oiled. I don't think she's done that before. No, no. It's like Milton had some sort of influence on her. Yeah, as if somehow the 18 months that she spent there has improved her character. Because it has, basically. And it goes, she <laughs> says that life went along with delicious smoothness. I don't know, I think that her relationship with machines and then the men who operate them and manufacturers and just like her, yeah, her outlook has just changed mm -hmm. so differently. So uh, Captain Lennox is there, obviously, he's married to Edith, he's just a guy being a dude, he spends all of his time hanging out with his mates, he wants his wife to stay looking hot, he seems, yeah. doesn't he seem like extra anxious that she remains pretty? Yeah, he really does. It felt like that's her one, both. that's her one job. Yeah, exactly. And it made, I don't know, it just made me a little bit sad. Like that's the beginning and end of Edith, really. Like she doesn't have an opportunity mm -hmm. to be interesting because exactly. she's fulfilled what she needed to do. Mm -hmm. um, Margaret also notices that um, the way of life in London is obviously significantly easier than in Milton, but specifically that the kind of the work and toil of the working and serving classes is just hidden away. So people enter buildings through the back door. Uh, everything's kind of done out of sight. So you don't right. have the kind of the brushing, the, the classes brushing against each other as much as she was noticing in Milton. And again, yeah, just another sign, just another sign that she's back, but she's, she's different. I don't think she's actually going to have a great time or even spend very much time in Harley Street. She's obviously like unsettled. Mm -hmm. uh, she's missing Dixon quite a bit and then all of a sudden she's sat on her own and Mr Bell appears and he's just come back from Milton and although he's arrived alone he was on the train with Henry Lennox and those two got to know each other and apparently Henry spent like the entire time trying to figure out who Mr Bell was is like why is that just because Henry's nosy yeah he is kind of nosy he is nosy yeah well, he wants to know everything that, like, has to do with Margaret, too. Yeah, that's true. But does he know that Mr. Bell, like, have they met I don't, at this point? I can't remember at this point, but... I think, I yeah, think I think he's just, he's a... just trying to figure out who this old guy is. Mm-hmm. So Mr. Bell asks quite pointedly why Margaret doesn't ask after Thornton, especially as he's been such a good friend to them. So the entire time that Margaret's been back down south, Thornton has been helping Dixon sort the sale out, make sure that everything gets kind of squared off and sorted out in Milton, and just really being like the extra pair of hands that Dixon and Margaret and Mr. Bell needed up there, like really trying to help them out. And Margaret, being the stubborn girl that she is, instead of asking about Mr. Thornton, asks about his mum. And then Mr. Bell says that they're all in preparation for Fanny's wedding. And um, yeah, and then tells Margaret basically that Mrs. T doesn't like her very much. <laughs> <laughs> surprise surprise like, yeah that old lady doesn't like you uh, so that's pretty awkward but then to make it even more awkward guess who walks in the door Henry Lennox <gasps> my favourite guy you love him yeah <laughs> and actually as much as I love John Thorpe <laughs> I do not love Henry Lennox as much as I love John Thorpe <laughs> so something that I did actually notice 
So we've got this whole scene where Henry Lennox and Margaret see each other again for the first time in three years. And obviously they've been corresponding about Fred. Uh, so they have been in touch with each other, but this is their first face-to-face encounter. And unlike all of the scenes with Thornton and Margaret's interactions, um, the only thing that uh, Gaskell kind of focuses on is how awkward it is for both of them mm-hmm. and then how relieved they are when any awkwardness is kind of let up. And I think that that is like an immediate tell at that point in the book that Henry Lennox and Margaret are never going to be together. Yeah. Because there's, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, there's nothing ever. There's nothing there. And there's nothing ever there with Henry too. I mean, that's also Gaskell. Like she puts so much into writing Thornton. Yeah. You know, like I just, you feel like you really know him, but she has not given you. Every time you get Henry anything to hold on to with Henry. Well, every, every time he has a point of view, he does make a comment about maybe this time I'll be with Margaret or maybe there's hope for me yet. Like he's always. She's, she always has the little seed there of Henry's still interested, Henry's still interested, Henry's still interested. And then they meet mm-hmm. and you're just like, this is such a boring, like, it's not boring, but like nothing happens when they meet. There's no spark, there's no chemistry. So you can just write right. them off at that point. So later on, when everyone's like, oh, maybe they're going to get married. It's like, well, obviously they won't because I remember that, that paragraph, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty sad because um, they, the three of them, Henry, Mr. Bell and Margaret, all start talking about Fred and then Mr. Bell finds out that Fred was in town, um, which he didn't know. And obviously I think he puts two and two together that Mr. Thornton was asking about it. Henry realises that Mr. Bell knows about Fred because he wasn't aware and he was like, oh, is it okay to be talking about this in front of this old dude? And everyone knows something apart from Margaret because she already knew that Fred's hope, uh, that Fred's case was a hopeless one, you know. Yeah. It's no, no, it's not like a satisfying conversation, basically. Henry's just like, no. I probably can't get your brother off. It's not going to work out. Spoiler alert, that's what he says to her at any point in the book. <laughs> <laughs> but this was one of the more disappointing storylines for me, you know. Yeah. It, it's not satisfying. Um, but it's also like, well, Fred's kind of happy. You know, he's got a life. Yeah, no, absolutely. So even, yeah. even if he were absolved, like, he probably wouldn't move back to England. Like, he's just going to go on doing what he's doing. Yeah, and it's funny as well, because I don't, I think it's more realistic this way. Mm-hmm. But we are jumping ahead here. We are. Which, and I think... Another thing, I mean, we are jumping ahead a little bit, but I will say, I, I think Margaret is, try- it's like displaced yearning too. Like she's trying to like yearn for this relationship with her brother. And I think it almost as a distraction from Thornton too. It's like, let me, yeah, let mean, me but... think about Fred. Don't think about Thornton. Let me think about this. Like let me put energy into this, but it's kind of a hopeless situation. He is, he is her last relative at this point. Yes. Yeah. Like, it makes sense. Family, like, you know, after family, all, everyone so. has died. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, if there is a chance that he could come back, then maybe, you know, he should try. But yeah, like he's settled. So, so yeah, so basically every conversation that Margaret is going to have with Henry Lennox from now on about Fred is just like, yeah, he's not coming back. Yeah, he's not coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Bell is about to leave, uh, but Henry is kind of like, well, I'm going to stay. So Margaret then kind of begs Mr. Bell to stay. because She doesn't want to be on her own with Henry. 
Um, and she says to him, well, I'd like you to stay so that you can see Edith. And I think that sums Edith up pretty well. And Mr. Bell says so too. He says, oh, I see. Edith is something to be seen where I'm, I'm just something to get to know because I'm not very nice to look at. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Um, yeah. everyone meets so um, Edith, Captain Lennox and Aunt Shaw come back, they all decide that they get on really well, uh, Mr Bell leaves secretly very pleased that he doesn't have to stay in their house because he thinks he'd find it really boring and then Henry turns out to be a bit of a dick because he starts ragging on the recently deceased Mr Hale he refers to his annoying conduct uh, and as far yeah. as Henry can tell, it didn't need to be such a big deal and he doesn't get that it was a hypocrisy that was causing Mr. Hale so much grief. Uh, and Mr. Bell has to defend his friend. So basically, um, Henry's been talking. I think he goes back, doesn't he? And so he was talking to the new vicar. Or he was talking to someone who was like, yeah, if Mr. Hale hadn't taken on the new job, he could have stayed in his existing parish and then not retained yeah. his oath to the church. And by doing that, then surely that means he wouldn't have had to leave but this is getting to the point of Mr Hales leaving the church again and I love that Mr Bell's there to kind of defend him in this moment because mm -hmm. it's not just saying the words it's your whole life his whole life from that moment from the realization that he couldn't make the vow would have been hypocrisy he couldn't do it so I had a little Mr Hale moment there which I enjoyed I appreciate <laughs> it uh chapter 45 is a really short chapter. I was thrilled, thrilled to have a short one. Uh, so it's called Not All a Dream, and it does start with a dream. Mr. Bell is thinking of Helston. Uh, he's having a dream about when he visited there, um, you know, 30, 25, 30 years ago. And there's this great line, the young wife moved about her house with just that mixture of annoyance at her position, as regarded wealth, with pride in her handsome and devoted husband, which Mr. Bell had noticed in real life a quarter of a century ago. So, what so I, sad. It is really sad. I think because, yeah, like the last chapter, it's kind of a reminder, like, this This is the life of these two characters that have both now died, like, mm -hmm. Hale being unsatisfied. Um, and then, but, but really loving her husband, you know, being really devoted to right. him. So, like, to the point that friends are noticing uh, yeah. and then I like that we get this perspective too from someone outside of the family. Yeah. That was actually the thing I really liked the most about it. Yeah, I mean that but that's it's not just Margaret missing her family, you know? Yeah. Well that's that's the just the thing with Mr. Bell, isn't it? It's just he's he comes in in the second half of the book and is just like a breath of fresh air. He's such just such an interesting and good character. Although we mm. did uh, we did accuse him of a few things. <laughs> last week which i mean some of his lines could be read that way i well we're, we're coming up on it <laughs> uh so in the second half of this chapter uh mr bell goes to see mags and henry uh henry lennox is there and we get told that you know once and for all fred's never coming back to england henry calls him lieutenant hale margaret's very touched by that and mr bell says to her how would you like to visit helston and she's incredibly overwhelmed at the prospect of going back to her childhood home. And Mr. Bell's like, please stop crying, like, dry up those fountains. And there's this cute line and it goes, I won't cry a drop, said Margaret, winking her eye to shake the tears off her eyelashes and forcing a smile. 
I don't know why, but that just really made me like Margaret. Oh. Like, I remember reading it and being like, oh, Max, you're all right. <laughs> I like the machine line and I like this one. So by the end of the book, like, I'm, I'm very fond of her. Like, it's that, oh. it's that little rallying spirit, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she does have that. It's great. I think she's quite admirable. Chapter 46, Once and Now. So this is, this is a great chapter. I actually think this is one of my favourite chapters in the book. So we go back to Helston and just basically from the beginning, we get these beautiful passages um, just describing the surroundings and just life and time and how stuff changes. Um, yeah, there's really good stuff in there. Um, one of the earliest one, uh, lines that I picked out was, it hurt her to see the Helston Road so flooded in the sunlight and every turn and every familiar tree so precisely the same in its summer glory as it had been in former years. Nature felt no change and was ever young. So the reason I picked that out is that I actually think by the end of that chapter, her point of view is different because mm -hmm. nature is constantly changing. It might be ever young, but, you know, as she like trees aren't always there, cottages aren't always there, like... The, yeah. the landscape changes and the way that it's cultivated changes and like no, nothing Margaret will stay the has same. These, like, like, it's like she has these growing spurts and like chapter 46 is one of them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And actually chapter 46 wasn't included in Household Words when it was um, serialized. So this was added on later by Gaskell. Oh, that's For the book. Yeah. So this was a, a chapter that she really felt was necessary to like the, the development of the book yeah and you can see it too with lines like that like i feel like you can really tell yeah well it feels like she took her time with it mm -hmm. yeah it does so um they go and stay at leonard's inn and mrs perkis who i think is the innkeeper remembers mags and she asks after her father and we get an indication that she already knows that mrs hale has died um and margaret can only say papa um, mm -hmm. and Mr Bell has to explain that her dad is dead and that she's all alone and then uh, she goes on to tell Maggie uh, all about the new vicar and his seven children and all the changes that they've been making to her home and there's this really good bit where the innkeeper says he and his wife are stirring people and they've done a great deal of good or at least they say it's doing good if it were not I should call it turning things upside down for very little purpose <laughs> I just it's, it's a great underhanded yeah it's like there. yeah they're doing loads of good stuff except it doesn't seem like it <laughs> um the new vicar is a teetotaler and it just sounds like he's really shaking stuff up like he really doesn't want anyone to be drinking he uh is a bit of a busybody his wife has started teaching at the school which i think from the sound of it is something that like the vicar's wife just does in helston mm -hmm. because i think is that is that what maggie's mum was doing I can't, I don't know. I don't know, like, usually, too, if it's, like, school or if it's, like, Sunday school. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a good point. I wasn't sure. Unclear, but... Well, no, so I, think it's, I think it's school, because when she goes to find... Well, yeah, there's... I may have just assumed, too, in my brain, because she was the vicar's wife, it was, like, Sunday school. No, I think it's school school. Okay. Um... Yeah, so they go for a walk around Helston after their lunch and they see that several of the old buildings have been pulled down, some of them have been rebuilt, there are trees missing. 
Margaret feels very old. Um, she gets this feeling that like a huge amount of time has passed by and Mr. Bell tells her that it's just because it's her first real experience of time passing and that the mm-hmm. older you get, the more it just kind of just feels like it's rushing away from you and you won't notice it as much. And uh, they, they as they're walking, they start talking about Hamlet and Margaret's basically just like, shut up, Mr. Bell, internally. Like, she's so <laughs> bored of the conversation. To be fair, I'm the same way when anyone starts banging on about Hamlet. I feel like you talk about Hamlet to me quite a bit. I do, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lauren. Um, so then they go to visit a child that Mags used to know. So this is the bit that I think tells us about the school. So she's been sent to the parish school and Mr. Bell says the child was getting a better and simpler and more natural education at stopping at home and helping her mother and learning to read a new chapter in the New Testament every night by her side than all the schooling under the sun. Which suggests that she's going to like, you know, Monday to Friday, like school school Mm -hmm. instead of like learning at home, which is what would have happened. But then, and this is possibly my favourite bit of the book. (laughs) the burnt cat so this woman's like how's your neighbor and she's like oh so this little girl's mom's like i don't talk to my neighbor anymore because she um yeah she like burnt my cat and margaret's like she what and apparently there's a superstition so i didn't as always someone is telling a story and i don't understand it in this book but someone lent some clothes to a gypsy and then (laughs) but and uh, they couldn't get the clothes back in time or something happened and then they boiled a cat alive. Yeah. Yeah. Never heard of that? Come on, that's a thing. I looked it up. No, it is. So there are loads of superstitions that involve burning or boiling a cat alive because its cries compel the power of darkness to obey the cat burner. But it's unclear to me why someone is doing it in the set. Like, did they want the clothes back? not sure what was it the gypsy that burnt the cat like who is what is happening (laughs) like this is nuts um and yeah so being a cat in victorian times rubbish because there are loads dangerous there are so many things that involve cat blood cat bones boiling them like especially black cats so just be on the watch my one of my cats is asleep at my feet i promise i'm not going to set him on fire but i might (laughs) if he starts making noises uh, so yeah, Mr. Bell then admits that he was wrong about this kid's education and that school is definitely better than becoming a cat boiler. <laughs> it's like, oh wait, on second thought, maybe you should just go to school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so we had a few comments, so we'll get to those at the end. But yeah, we were talking on Facebook about the cat burning thing and like the significance of it. Um, so they go to the school. And they see the new vicar's wife bustling around, and that's Mrs. Hepworth. And she assumes that Mr. Bell is, in fact, Mr. Hale. So they have to figure that out. While Mrs. Hepworth and Mr. Bell are talking, Mags goes off and starts, you know, talking to the kids and, like, trying to help them with their schoolwork. But she's finding it really hard to focus. And she talks to a couple of the ones that she was a bit closer to, but she has this realisation that, and this is a quote, they were growing out of children into great girls, passing out of her recollection in their rapid development as she, by her three years absent, was vanishing from theirs. So yeah, this this just this whole chapter is just like, this is how things were, this is how things are, time moves on and this isn't your home anymore. Like, life right. has changed. 
So they go back to the old parsonage, and again, just to hammer it home even more, it's almost an entirely different house. They're building extensions, they've knocked windows in. Um, there's this great passage where um, Margaret's talking about them knocking a window in uh, Mr. Hale's study, and that perhaps if he'd had all of that light in there, he wouldn't have been this, like, like think a thinking man, you know? Mm-hmm. That that his lovely, shaded, quiet, peaceful study is what turned him into the doubter that he was because he had too much time just to sit there. Whereas this vicar is just trying to spy on everyone going down the road to the pub. Yeah, I do love that he's (laughs) (laughs) keeping Um, tabs on everyone. Yeah, he just wants to know what everyone's doing all the time. And um, yeah, there's this lovely line that says, there are signs of merry, healthy, rough childhood. Just there's toys everywhere. There's like skid marks on the floor. Just, you know, it's a it's a trash heap, basically. And also when you consider the fact that... Well, there's seven kids in there. Yeah, there are. And they don't have a nursery. She's like, what did you do without a nursery? And Margaret's like, well, there were only two of us. And then she was probably thinking about the fact that, you know, at nine, she was sent to live with another family. So... Right. There is that. Um, it says the parsonage was so altered both inside and out that the real pain was less than she anticipated. She has yeah. to go back to Helston to kind of say, to, to get the closure, to say goodbye to it and to realise that she can be happy elsewhere. All of the time she's in Harley Street and in Milton and even before she's gone to Milton when she's in Harley Street the first time, there's this idea that she's going to Helston and that Helston is where she belongs and she couldn't really be happy anywhere else. And so going back and seeing that Helston's moved on without her is kind of what she needs to then move on with her own life and, you know, get on with it, basically. Yeah, that's true. I've got a really long, beautiful passage here that I'm not going to read. Maybe I'll put it in the Facebook what? group. No, you should read it. Have we got time? <laughs> I feel like yeah, I'm talking do it. slowly. Okay. Do it. So um, I've highlighted this bit. I don't really have a point. I just think it's a perfect example of this chapter, um, what it's about, basically. Um, There was change everywhere, slight yet pervading all. Households were changed by absence or death or marriage or the natural mutations brought by days and months and years, which carry us on imperceptibly from childhood to youth and thence through manhood to age, whence we drop like fruit, fully ripe into the quiet mother earth. Places were changed, a tree gone here, a bough there, bringing in a long ray of light where no light was before. A road was trimmed and narrowed, and the green straggling pathway by its side enclosed and cultivated. A great improvement, it was called. But Margaret sighed over the old picturesqueness, the old gloom, and the grassy wayside of former days. Beautiful. Yeah, she's just really coming to terms with it in this chapter. Yeah. Um, that night, just moving straight on from that, <laughs> that <laughs> night, uh, Max tells Mr. Bell all about the Fred going to London, um, Fred visiting Milton, like just that whole kerfuffle. She tells him about Leonard's fault, about Mr. Thornton seeing her, the lie to the murder police. And she says to him, like, I think that perhaps you should tell Mr. Thornton that I'm not a liar. Like, I, I will never see him again. So could you explain to him the situation? Like, now that Fred can't come back to the country, there is really no harm in Mr. Thornton knowing about it. 
Mm-hmm. She can clear her name, but Mr. Bell has to be the one to do it. Um, she, uh, yeah, she is really out of sorts that night. Mr. Bell sends her to bed early. So she just sits up at the window thinking about change and thinking about heaven. At one point she contemplates being a nun. So that happens, you know. And then yeah, she's in full on crisis mode. Yeah, she's just like having a crisis. But then by the end, she she feels like a lot better for it, I think. Um, and but also it does say that she never needs to go back there. Like this one trip was enough. Um, and it, mm-hmm. in any other circumstances in the future, like she doesn't think that she could bear to go back. But going back on this trip with Mr. Bell, like was OK. Um, yeah. And the last passage from this chapter is. And I too change perpetually. Now this, now that, now disappointed and peevish because all is not exactly as I had pictured it. And now suddenly discovering that the reality is far more beautiful than I had imagined. Oh, Helston, I shall never love any place like you. You know what? I don't think she's just talking about Helston. <laughs> oh, Margaret. I think she's uh, okay. talking about Thornton a little bit there. Probably. A little bit. A little bit. But still not admitting it to herself, you know, (laughs) fully. (laughs) Typical mags. So chapter 47 is something wanting. This was also not included in the original serialization. So this was added on later on. So um, mags is back at Harley Street and Dixon has returned from Milton. Now she's finished up the estate sale and everything. And, um, I just kept thinking about that time apart. Like, I was like, oh, this would be an interesting plot for a story. Like, the servant who has to stay behind and sort of, like, pack up one life and go start another, you know? And just, like, you know, Dixon is this interesting character who still has all this pride and, like, doesn't want to deal with the Higginses and, you know, has to deal with the Thorntons and... Yeah. But, like, she's just kind of a displaced woman, isn't she? It's like everything is still uncertain at this moment. Yeah, she she doesn't know. Her, like, her future is tied up in Margaret's, basically. Exactly. Um, but Dixon returns and she's got all the tea on everybody. So, you know, first up, Martha has gone to work with Thornton's, which is great because they need extra help since, uh, you know, Fanny's getting married yeah. or got married. And. Sadly, we did not get to see Fanny's wedding. Rubbish. Rubbish. But you know, it was fabulous. Yeah. And expensive. And expensive. Expensive. And, um, you know, everyone in town was kind of talking about how expensive it was and how, you know, it shouldn't have been because John lost quite a bit of coin after that strike. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think. We mentioned a little bit before that the Thorntons were helping out with the estate sale, and they also bought a bunch of stuff from the estate sale. So but I think there's like a Mrs. line in Thornton, there. Mrs. Thornton bought everything for too cheap, and then Mr. Thornton paid extra exactly. to like make exactly. up for it. It was so cute. <laughs> yes. Um, so that was really, yeah, adorable. Um, the Higginses are doing well. You know, they pop in every now and again. And uh, Dixon's like, not sure if she heard this right. But she's like, I don't know. I think Mary has gone to cook at Thornton Mill. That can't be right. That was probably just a dream. That's a weird thing. <laughs> she's gone to cook in the but, dining room. Yeah, she's gone to cook in the dining room. That's great. I love that Mary has a has found a place. And it's not breathing in cotton fluff. Exactly. 
Um, lots and lots of talk about Mr. Bell. Like Dixon wants to know what's up. I yeah. mean, again, her future is tied up in Margaret. So, of course, she's like, what's going to go on? What's going to happen? Yeah, like, are you going to be an heiress? Where are we going? Are we going to Spain? What are we doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, sort of the Spanish plan does sort of take her mind off Thornton a bit for a time. And um, this is sort of like Mr. Bell brings it up, right? Like, let's go to Spain and visit your brother. Yeah. So she's kind of, you know, obsessed with this idea for a while. And, um, you know, again, yeah, it's just like, it's it's an adventure. It's like, let's get away from here. Let's get away from this. But she also, she doesn't think, she truthfully doesn't think that she has any reason to see Mr. Thornton again. It's true. That's true. So she's not, she wouldn't sit there pining after Milton. Like, she doesn't really have a reason to go up there. Like, Mr. Bell's still alive. What I couldn't figure out in the next, in like the set of chapters, too, was like, I mean, maybe this is just me like projecting onto Margaret. It's like, is she pining after Thornton or is she. She no. is she looking for distractions? Because like the when it comes up when she's in Helston, like just sort of the way it bubbles up, like, will you tell Mr. Thornton, like, I'm innocent? Like, it's really important to her. And you can tell it's like it's been on her mind, but she hasn't been saying it. Well, she, she always says that thing. We I don't examine my feelings. I don't think about my feelings. Yeah. Um, and true. I think that is she says that to remind the reader that it's not she isn't lying to us she isn't lying to herself it's that she actively she actively doesn't doesn't think about this stuff on purpose oh margaret she doesn't take the time to do the self-reflection so so yeah so that's where margaret and i just i just have a hard time like getting on board with her yeah um just understanding her so um, the one thing Margaret is really um, into, well, she's into Edith's, like, she's saying Edith's son. She's not saying both sons. She just likes one of them. She dislikes the other one. Assumably. Two children, man. What is going on with those babies? Cosmo and Cosmo. Or Cosmo Sholto and Sholto. <laughs> <laughs> so she just likes one of them. She just likes Sholto. And, um, you know, she's feeling pangs. She's like, ugh. I, you know, I'm so sad I'm never going to be a mother. I'm so sad this is never going to happen for me. Yeah. Which, again, <laughs> just kind of, like, <laughs> gets to me. Because I'm also, like, it's always, like, zero to 60 with this girl. It's always, like, you know, extremes. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, like, Margaret, you're still a young woman. Like, there's talk of you being an heiress. Like, you do have a viable future. Yeah, but she like, can only have a loved one man. And she's blown her chances with him. I mean, come on. So, yeah. Also, during this time, Margaret and Henry are spending a lot of time together. But it's this very, like, cool, distancey yeah. relationship. It's not, Ugh. you know, there's no sparks, like, like we said. Do you remember last week we were talking about nice guys? I feel like Henry's the sort of guy that's going to write her, like, a very sharp letter just telling mm-hmm. her about her flaws, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He's, oh, he by really, the way. I mean, we're going to, we're going to talk about this. I mean, he, I think he feels like he's invested a lot of time and energy in a Margaret and yes. um, it, it definitely is not returned. So um, chapter 48, ne'er to be found again. Um, so I, I like that we, you know, have a dinner party scene. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I actually wish we could get into some dinner party politics, like because I feel like this is actually one of Gaskell's strengths, because this is something that she's experienced a lot of. Yeah, because um, she entertained so much. She entertained so much, and she entertained so many different personalities. And so, I mean, my God, like, she should have just written a book about entertaining. <laughs> but um, I, uh, you know, you actually highlighted this on Twitter, and I did as well in my notes. Um so we start off at this dinner party and Mags is just like not having it. Like all the people there are superficial. I mean, again, we, we go back to like Captain Lennox, just like wanting Edith to be beautiful mm-hmm. there for decoration. And like the, the balance of people at the party is the same way, right? Like, so you have some like intellectuals, you have some beautiful people, but everyone's just kind of like superficial. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the quote that you highlighted was they talked about art in a merely sensuous way, dwelling on outside effects instead of allowing themselves to learn what it has to teach. They lashed themselves up into an enthusiasm about high subjects and company and never thought about them when they were alone. I highlighted that I highlighted that because it just reminds me of a lot of people. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that was me. No, yeah. When I tweeted it, that was definitely me throwing some shade at uh, my friends. At people that you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, absolutely. I feel like a lot of people know people like this. And um, I also, it did make me think about Austen because I feel like Jane Austen was great about pointing out, you know, these kind of things. Yeah. But she also would have like really showed it to us instead of just like telling us. We, we would have had a very funny dinner party scene with the conversation. Yes. Like that's that's what we've yeah. got. We've got a few a few pages of of dialogue of and yeah. like we'd have seen that through the way people were interacting and and not interacting with with Margaret and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And that you know, I missed that. I I just think also like Gaskell's pressed for time here. <laughs> it feels very rushed to this chapter and the next one as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was like, oh, I wish we could have that. But then also we're really deep into this book and we need to wrap it up. <laughs> it's, it's, oh my gosh. It's amazing how like the pace just changes at the end. It, it does. Um, because then it's, it feels like in the next scene, it just changes like rapidly again. Cause Margaret receives a letter from Mr. Bell saying that he's going to visit Harley street, which, you know, fluffs up Edith's feathers because she's like, Oh gosh, now I've got to throw another dinner party. You know, my number's going to be right. And uh, just all kinds of stuff. Like she's just, yeah a mess and um they sort of like get into it about um well i think she's telling margaret like oh you know we might not even be around like we've got to leave town we're the last ones to leave town like it's just spiraling into like crazy drama and she talks to him a little bit about mr bell's health in spain mm-hmm and they kind of get into a little bit of a drama and mags calls edith course yeah. Which I love course um, as a, you know, as a dig because the Brontes were often called course. <laughs> <laughs> and she regrets it. Like she regrets it immediately. I think she's just like annoyed with Edith and. Well, Edith is being reg- selfish and just. Yes. Not- like she just kind of, you know. Yeah. It's she can only take so much. I mean, Ma- Margaret is in like a really difficult position. I think within this household and I really felt it there, you know, 
before when she was living there and it was like her aunt's house and she was the poor relation. Now it's like Margaret's kind of like she's a woman and she's and kind of displaced. coming to the dinner parties to see her. Like, I think that's the other thing is that Margaret yeah. is in danger of usurping Edith. Like Edith's married now, like she's had children, like she's very pretty, but Margaret is mysterious and quiet and beautiful and and a yeah, potential heiress. Yeah, she's a bit of a threat for the limelight. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then, you know, she upsets Edith by calling her course and then she has to like make it up to her for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, then just sort of change of pace. They receive word that Mr. Bell will not be dining with them after all because he is dying. Oh, Mr. Shocker. Bell. Everyone in this book. It's a high body count. We have five? Six? How many um, people died in this book? Mrs. Hale. Mr. Hale. Lennox, Bessie. Bessie. Mr. Bell. Boucher. Boucher's wife. I'm going oh, yeah, to wife. Thornton's dad as well because we hear about him. <laughs> uh, I'm calling it eight. Yeah. Hard times in this book. So, um, yeah, and then I love that Edith, like, takes this, like, really poorly. Oh, my God. When, when she hears that Mr. Bell's dying. Um, actually, later, it's when she hears that Mr. Bell's dead. Um, anyway, uh, Margaret is, like, you know, immediately into action Margaret mode. She just knows what to do. So she's like, all right, I'm going to Oxford right now. And Edith's like, wait a minute, you've got to ask my mom if you can go. And she's just like, well, no. <laughs> like, no, I don't. They kind of get into it yet again. Um, but she does end up relenting, talking to Aunt Shaw and uh, Captain Lennox ends up escorting her to Oxford because it wouldn't be proper for her to go on her own. Yeah. Um, Belle dies. Yeah. And then Mags waits until Sholto is like away and asleep before, you know, having another one of her existential breakdowns, basically. She took Sholto with her? She did, didn't she? Because there's like a line about her waiting for him to go to sleep. Sholto. Sorry, I thought he was the baby again for a second. Oh. Well, I mean, no, I the, thought the, he was the dog the Sholto again the man. for a second because the first the, time the I man Sholto. The man Sholto. <laughs> Okay. The man. Well, call him Captain Lennox. Jesus. I will call him Captain Lennox. Thank you. And um, there's Lennox. the there's that kind of touching moment where she's obviously going through um Mr. Bell's rooms and um she goes to the room where her father died. Mm, yeah. I think like that whole again, it felt really rushed. And I know that Gaskell puts in saying like I wish she wanted there because captain lennox wanted to get back but at the same time mm. it's just like we have we have like so much of this book is taken up by other lingering moments that mm-hmm. i really think that mr bell's death is just a mile a minute <laughs> it really is like i cannot believe that the book finished <laughs> it just yeah <laughs> it's insane um Chapter 49 is Breathing Tranquility. So, uh, okay, it's it's official. Like, Margaret is an heiress. And this is, like, the only thing Edith can, like, think of. You know, she's talking to her husband, like, 
Did she get it? Did she get the money? Yeah, and he's like, he's come like, on. And he's like, I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> and then five minutes later, she's like, I heard. I heard she got the money. So um, it's quite a bit. So it's like 2,000 pounds in cash and then 40,000 in property. Which is um, like millions now, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite a, quite a bit of money. So um, Henry Lennox swoops in right away, quite happily, and he becomes her yeah. business advisor. And he loves nothing more than mansplaining business to her. He, well, yeah, and kind of taking over her affairs. Yeah. This is that dangerous thing. That, you know, totally. that women were in danger. Like, he, he's managing all of, like, and like, okay, yes. To be fair to Henry, he doesn't do anything untoward. Like, he doesn't try and swindle her. But imagine being an heiress and, and basically every man around you, like your father or your, your brothers or your uncles or your family friends, like, you would have just been prey. Yeah, absolutely. And people, like, absolutely. Telling, you know, telling you to do stuff because it benefits them and stuff. Or you can just totally. like, it's just there on the edge. You're just like, oh, Henry. <laughs> it made me nervous, um, especially, well, a little later, it makes me even more nervous. But yeah, like they're, and they're, you know, they're, they're practically family. And, you know, he's a trusted member of the family. He's always around. He's yeah. all up in our grill. Yeah. Um, Edith, of course, sees him, you know, and her together and, she is really, really hoping that this is going to happen. No. Um, not only is it a good situation for Henry um, as a poor barrister. I was going to say, you know, is this when he starts having that train of thought? It's a, just like a little bit later. Okay. But yeah, okay. basically, basically, <laughs> you can trace it back to here. Ooh. Um, as soon as he sees the numbers, I'm sure, because 2000 in cash, 40000 in property. I mean, come on. I guess we can say he's, hey. like, he's like, oh, and jackpot so yeah so henry's basically like i don't have anything to offer her now because i'm a poor barrister however if i can get a hold of her money then that's exactly the sort of thing yeah that get me into the take... right circles i'll meet the right people uh-huh. and i can live the lifestyle and then you know once i make money i can pay her back it's just like a loan right you know? but it's like it's like a loan he's spending her money before they're even married yeah danger yeah danger danger so um Thankfully, they they end up going out, out on a trip to the seaside resort of Cromer. Um, so this is Mrs. Shaw and um, Edith and Captain Lennox and the babies, I'm assuming, and Margaret. So um, this trip, she says she does say something like, instead of going to Spain, I guess I'm going to go to Cromer. And, you know, this is kind of good for her because she does spend a lot of time Mm self-reflecting which is you know which is new for her and isn't there's that bit Um, people are like oh what whatever can she be looking at because she just sits yeah she's just like looking out at the waves yeah like guys this girl's had a lot of trauma um when she returns henry's like oh max looks younger and like fresher she looks like the margaret of helston not the margaret of milton yeah and that's when he really, like, that's when the wheels start turning. Like, God, not only does she look good, but, you know, she's got all this money and just... But, you know, that's, you know. that's the the other thing as well. Him saying, oh, she looks like the Margaret of Helston. He's not allowing for change. So while 
Margaret has grown up and realised that change is a good thing and and it's it's painful but it it has to happen like Henry isn't having that thought process so he doesn't he doesn't no. want Margaret who is from Helston but has seen like who's been through everything that she's been through in Milton and come out the other side and return to him he just he wants he wants none of that part he doesn't want he doesn't want the trials he just wants like this pure unsullied woman and that's yeah. why they'll never be together like yeah absolutely Henry Lennox um, is officially a bad lad I'm entering him <laughs> into the bad lad now, now he has moved from nice guy to bad lad yeah with this train of thought remember I said he was Fair a enough. sad lad but yeah. I actually think he's a bit of a fortune hunter so mm-hmm. I'm putting him yeah, in the bad lad yeah I think so too and there are other men sort of like they, they talk about this like in a just, there's like a, a couple of lines there are other men that are sort of circling around Margaret and there are other dinner parties, you know, yeah. where she is basically the, you know, the spotlight, but she is not having it. She gives them all this like bitter look of disdain, right? Yeah. She's just not into it. Right. And um, I do almost wish I could now also have a book that is just like bitter heiress turning away, like every suitor that comes yeah. to her door. That's a that's another great book, Elizabeth Gaskell. But we have to wrap up this one. <laughs> so, um, chapter fifty changes at Milton. <gasps> Milton. Oh my God, we've gone back. We've gone back to Milton. Thank God. Um, this is a depressing chapter. It's really depressing <laughs> because um, we, you know, we learn that John Thornton, like, we know that, like, things were not great after the strike, but really, like, things are really not great after the strike. Um, you know, we have details on the the Irish hands that had come in to replace the strikers. Uh, they produced, like, poor quality work. Yeah. And Thornton couldn't, you know, he couldn't deliver those uh, orders because they were so poor quality. He lost a ton of money. He lost a ton of accounts. A lot of his funds are actually tied up in expensive new machinery. Yeah. That w- will improve the lives of you know his workers, but well, it's, yeah, it, yeah, it's tied up in the dining room, the new machinery. Yeah, uh, he bought loads of cotton to fulfill the orders that ended up being cancelled because the Irish workers couldn't do the work properly. Uh, he was obviously paying it's... the Irish workers wages. Just and I, I really like that it, it kind of broke down from his side what effect the strike had because I think we got so much of yeah. the the effect of the strike on the daily lives of the workers and the consequences of a strike, regardless of who wins or fails, like this outcome would have been the same for him regardless. Yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. This would have happened unless, you know, he had just said to them, you can have the 5%. Yeah. The very fact that the strike has happened has led, has led to this. And, um, you know, there is my favorite part of this chapter actually is when Thornton and Bates new BFFs forever. Oh my gosh. These they're guys. so I could watch they're, this they're buddy cute. movie. <laughs> they're talking about Margaret and you know what she's up to now. And Thornton's like, well, you know, she's my new landlord and I, I hear about her every once in a while, just in passing. <laughs> and Bates lets out a teeny tiny little nugget about Frederick. And kind of mentions or hints at the fact that Frederick may have been in town. Yeah. Oh, because that's... Well, Thornton's the one... Because Mr. Bell died Hmm. without telling him. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Thornton doesn't know. He isn't, you know, Margaret hasn't been absolved. But um, Thornton kind of like latches onto this thing like, oh, Fred, the brother. And that brother was in town, wasn't he? And Bates is all like, well, I mean, I couldn't possibly say, wink, wink. I'm not going to give up their their secrets. Um, and Thornton says that this is a little golden thread running through the dark web of his present fortunes. Oh. I mean, I know. And it's bad. And it gets even worse because there is a very hard talk between John and Mrs. Thornton. And this is like the last scene that we have of Mrs. Thornton, right? Like just. I think it's a good of scene her. for her. It's a great scene. I mean, like if, my God. If you're an actress, like, I think Mrs. Thornton should be the, the role that you aspire to. Absolutely. Like, It'd be the most fun imagine role. Imagine playing Mrs. Thornton on stage. That would be incredible. And, like, having this conversation and saying, like, I, you know, like, I'm upset Was- about this for you, that, like, you, my son, who has achieved so much and, like, overcome so much could be laid so low like you just feel yeah. every bit of her emotion yeah he she says, is yeah he says to her like tell me the platitudes like you did when i was a child and she's just like she can't do it she can't it's she it's, she's too upset i mean he's you know sad for her because he feels like he's failed her but she is just absolutely gutted for him because she's like this this man is a prince and I can't believe like he's found himself, you know, in this position of having to give up his business because he, you know, he deserves this. He deserves success more yeah. than anyone. And, um, and also yeah, she brings it's just up a that really... he was spurned by his, you know, it's like to, to be turned down by that woman and, and to have this yeah. happen. It's like, she's... it's too much, yeah. but at least Fanny's too much. Married. Yeah, Fanny's fine. Actually, Fanny has done great, guys. She has married this dude who is a little bit a little bit on the skeevy side and he <laughs> has made a shit ton of money and she's going to be rich forever. Yeah. So, she'll be fine. Don't worry about Fanny. Um chapter 51, meeting again. So, back at Harley Street and Mr. Thornton is coming to dinner. Like what? I wild <laughs> I, I thought it was crazy. I was like, what is going I, yeah, on? I was so surprised. And then, like, it's like, plot twist, Henry Lennox is the one that invited him. Sorry. What? <laughs> Henry, this is your undoing. Why? Yeah, why have you done this? But it's his reasons for doing it as well. It's so funny because it's like, every everyone's kind of like against it. And then it's like, oh, but actually he's quite well known. And also the people are going to be interested in what he has to say. Yeah, well, I love that, like, so Edith has this um, member of parliament coming over for dinner anyway, and his name is Mr. Colthurst. And um, Henry is like, well, you know, Edith should be happy that I'm bringing Thornton over for dinner because Thornton and Colthurst are actually going to have things to talk about. Yep. And it's going to be great. Um, And he's right. It's true. (laughs) It's all true. So um, Thornton comes to dinner. And um, Margaret can't, I mean, it, they can't even deal with each other, right? Like, he, yeah. he is, of course, not looking at her for most of this chapter. Oh, as always. But, you know, you can tell that he knows exactly where she is in the room at all times. And there's a great part of the book where, um, you know, Thornton is actively avoiding eye contact with Margaret. And Margaret is uh, 
just free to like look upon his face and remark upon all the changes. She's just like staring him down. And then, you know, she's admiring his smile and just, just everything about him. And then at one point their eyes meet and uh, his face just falls. And suddenly he looks like grave and anxious and just he can't deal with her any longer. Yeah. Um, Colthurst and Thornton. Yeah. Get, getting along famously. Thornton is just really open too. like it. He's not a man that's like, you can tell he's changed, right? He used to be so proud. But now, you know, he's, he's talking openly about his failure, really with business. Yeah, absolutely. And what he should what he should have done. <laughs> yeah. And how you know, his relationship changed with his workers. Um, after striking up a friendship with one of them, Bates or Higgins, presumably. Um, and yeah, it's just really touching to, to hear. And, you know, it's, it's devastating. And Margaret's, you, Margaret's, it's really affecting her, you can tell. And at one point during dinner, Thornton actually like addresses Margaret um, kind of abruptly and tells her that he has had this, uh, this note from Higgins and the rest of his men stating that, you know, he, they would work for him again in a heartbeat if he were ever, you know, in the right position. Yeah. And he's like, you you like that, Margaret, don't you? <laughs> that was good, wasn't it? He says. It was good. And she says, yes, just right. I am glad of it. And she looks yes. straight into his face. Ugh. And she can tell that he's changed, that he's less proud, that he's he's grown up he's a different man he's a wiser man lauren lauren let me read the bit because it breaks my heart <laughs> it's so short um he goes back at her for a minute as if he did not know exactly what he was about then sighed and saying i knew you would like it he turned away and never spoke to her again until he bid her a formal good night oh my god my heart <laughs> i remember reading that just being like damn like I, I'm in love with Mister. <laughs> he was just holding on to it all night. It's just like it's so soft. Like I can even just like hear just like a little. <sighs> I mean, I know. Like, like <laughs> yeah. It's a hard chapter to read too because I just was like, talk to each other. I was like losing my mind. So anyway, that happened, and then. Chapter 52. I mean, it definitely finishes with Henry Lennox saying that he's um, going to propose to her. Oh, wanna, yeah. I just want to, yeah. I, I should go back there. Yeah, okay. Because <clears throat> Margaret's so, like, yeah. Well, the best thing happens, actually. <laughs> the best thing happens. <laughs> I forgot. So at the end of the night, Margaret is just kind of flushed. Because of Thornton, yeah. obviously. And she pulls Henry aside and she's just like, you know, could you could you come by tomorrow? Can I see you tomorrow? I need to see you. And he's just like, I will be there at whatever time you require, madam. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, finally, like, I, she's just realized that I'm like the best guy in the world. And I, I don't know, like, she's going to ask me to marry her? Like, what does he think is going to happen? I don't know. He's like, any day now, she's going to tell me to propose and i'm good yeah like <laughs> so he thinks he's in and then chapter 52 pack clouds away yeah 
Yeah. So um, I like where we kind of pick up the chapter because like Henry is leaving um, Harley Street. (laughs) And Edith is like totally losing her mind. Like, oh my God, what's going to happen between you two? Is it, are you guys getting married? Like what's going on? And um, I mean, she's just been seeing two people spend a lot of time together, but man, it's like, she is not picking up on any vibe between these two people, is she? No, she just wants she just wants a babysitter, doesn't she? She doesn't. She just wants a babysitter. She's just like, I can't wait for you two to get married so Margaret can get settled, and then she can just watch my kids all the time. And Henry is just snarky as can be, just like, yeah, well, okay. When I find a woman out there to marry, I'll make sure she's like gonna manage your children, okay? Yeah. But it's not gonna be her. And as well, like Edith's like coming to lunch and he's like, no, thank you. I can't. I've lost too much time here already. And again, mm-hmm. he's talking about that morning, but he's also talking about Margaret. This is a man that yes. has invested all of his time and energy into a woman that is decidedly uninterested in him. Yep. He's got nice guy Idis. So he's like, I'm done with this. And I also love that she's like, well, what were you guys talking about if you weren't talking about getting married in there? And he's like, a thousand things you would not understand. Yeah. Like leases and investments and business McBusinessy things. I'm out. I do like that. Um, he says, um, Miss Hale would not have me and I would not ask her. Yeah. I like that. For me, that is like a tiny redeeming bit. It's like, he gets to a point where he's like, you know what? I like I I have read this situation all wrong. I'm stepping back. Yeah, that is true. Like he does, he clears the path. Then the reason that he's different to a John Thorpe, so I'm gonna relegate him out of the bad lads back into the sad lads. Sorry oh. guys. This is a roller coaster. Um John Thorpe would have lied. John Thorpe would have manipulated other people to change their yeah. opinion of Margaret. That's what Wickham would have done. That's what any number of the bad lads would have done. Henry has just doggedly pursued someone for the wrong reasons, but hasn't done anything to interfere with her happiness with another person. That's true. So sad lad it is. It's official. Final verdict. He's a sad lad. Banging the gavel on the we, table. And he finally realizes it during the scene that we do not see. Yeah. True. Which I, I kind of like that. I kind of like that choice. Yeah. Too. I think it's funnier. Him like the last part ending with him being like she's gonna propose, and then the next one opening with him being like gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, um, I gotta go, you know. And also, it's not about all we did him. was talk about. No, no. Gaskell's very it's good not. at not wasting time on people that the story isn't about. This is true. She doesn't show you. Um, she doesn't. Um, so I kind of like that. I like that we're meant to imagine it, but it is another part where we're meant to like, we have to project Margaret's feelings and thoughts because there was something during that meeting that Henry saw in Margaret where he was like, oh no, she's interested in Thornton. This is not happening for me. Um, it's because she wants to invest her money in Milton and she's already, it is like her, her, her plans aren't to sell the property and have the money and then stay in London. Her plans are active and engaged and like long term. Yeah. What if I invest this job, this money in, um, in John Thornton. Yeah. And his mill. Yeah. 
I'll get a better return. Well, you mean, you know, she she cloaks it under the guise of I'll get a better return out of my investment. But no, that's not why she's doing it. We know that, guys. So anyway, um, Henry Lennox is supposed to return the next day with Mr. Thornton to discuss business. But Lennox just doesn't turn up. Yep. John does. And he's waiting around for Margaret and Lennox for like an hour. And then finally, Margaret goes in and she explains to him that she wants to give him 18,500 pounds that she has sitting in the bank. Yeah. And um, I like how nervous she is. She's like, just trying to find all of the paper. And like, she's trying to find all of the things as if her saying it, like, she doesn't have the authority. She has to find Mr. Lennox's plans, like that prove mm-hmm. that it's okay. And like, no, honestly, this is like, we, we've looked at this. This is fine. This is legitimate. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's like that we're not told what's going on with Margaret and we're not like, we don't know what her feelings are. But, you know, John Thornton, just like Henry Lennox, can pick up right away that Margaret's in love with him. Yeah. So, yeah, then guys, guys, that's like the end. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we could read out the last few bits, but maybe we will in the listener comments. Yeah, I've got I've got the book open in front of me and oh, my gosh, <laughs> it's, so, it's crazy. It's so good. Yeah, I mean, because she's kind of like flustered at one point, And I think he says something along the lines of like, take care. If you do not speak, I shall claim you as my own. Like, because he's just like almost not even concerned with the money. He's just like, whoa, whoa. Just the fact that you are doing this means that you are in love with me. And let's just get married. It's like decided. It's just decided before yeah. <laughs> you even know what's happening. And they're like, I just... how are we going to tell tell Aunt Shaw? How are we going to tell Mrs. Thornton? I mean, which is like basically the last line of the book. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, but I think the end is funny. <laughs> I've got to say though, um, the the he keep he just says her her name. It's so personal. It's not Miss Hale. He says it like three three times. He just says Margaret, like that's the first thing he says, and then Margaret again, and then um, and then the longest speech, and then he kind of punctuates that with Margaret. Now, um, like in so many cultures, did you know that once you get married, you uh, you no longer refer to your wife as her first name? Oh, no. And so that still happens. And um, I think so since knowing that, I'm like, I'm very aware of it. And in here, it's just like this very personal, like, it, yeah, it's just a very intimate thing that he's doing. Yeah. And I love yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's very it's intimate. Simple, yeah. And it's just... Yeah, I think guys should do it more often. Don't say babe, just call someone by their name because their name is precious, it's their name. Yeah. That sounds like a right. little old lady there. The name is precious. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I do, yeah. I, I love the last, like, two pages of the book. Yeah, they're great. You guys should just read them. <laughs> yeah, Read them. We're not going to read them out to you. Oh, and the return, no. the bit with the hands going around his neck and he moves them there. Whew, my heart. It's great. It's fantastic. And you're just like, oh, man. You're like, man, I just want a whole book of Thornton. <laughs> I mean, North and South is is about him. It is. <laughs> but just entirely from his point of view. You know what? I want some North and throwback to the naughty bonnets episode i'd read a 
Mr. Thornton erotica. I think we're halfway there. We are. Someone point us in the direction. That's what we need. The people have spoken. <laughs> so should we move on to the listener comments? Yeah. We had a lot. You guys had a lot to say. You guys did such a great job. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do before we start? Ladies, huh. ladies who read ahead. And yeah, I'm talking to you, Rita, Kimberly, Leanne, Carly, Louise, and Sarah. <laughs> How could you do it to us? <laughs> For days, I was just like, man, like everyone is so bored of this book. <laughs> no one's commenting on it. And then suddenly, I can't remember who said it, but on the Facebook page, someone was like, oh, is it just me that's read ahead? And then like the flood was just, the floodgates opened and everyone was just like, oh yeah, I finished it last week. Oh, I finished it two weeks ago. <laughs> I can't join in the conversation because I already finished it. And it's like, come on, we've got to talk about it. But you have all, you've all perked up in the last couple of days. So you're forgiven for being <laughs> keeners and rushing ahead. Do you want to go first, Lauren? Um, let's see. Well, we've got loads of comments about the ending. Yeah, so we can talk about the ending a little bit. Um, Jennifer Brown said, honestly, I was really disappointed with the final few pages. I take it that Thornton and Margaret's final conversation was supposed to be humorous, but I was expecting so much more than what we were given. No wonder they changed the ending for the adaptation. I mean, we all wanted smooching, right? Like we all wanted, like the thing is like Thornton is such a, he is a character that we can't get enough of. Like every time he speaks, like we just all are like on the edge. Yeah. And yeah, I could have used a chapter. I could have used two chapters. There are, it's hard. That pacing at the end is tough. Like, there's so many distractions like Spain. Are we going to go to Spain? Are we not going to go to Spain? Oh, let's go to Cromer. Let's look at the waves. Like there's just like too many things happening. I'm just like, I don't care. Like when are these two going to get together? I know it's about to happen any minute now. Yeah. And, and so I think that does add to disappointment. And yeah, a few people like uh, kind of expressed their disappointment. Um, Carly went on to say that she tried reading it differently a few times and, you know, um, like the different emphasis that you can put on the words and about how like Margaret doesn't think she's good enough. She can't face it. She can't face him. Uh, Kira Bell went on to say that she loved, you, you loved the ending. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm with you. I thought it was great. And yeah, the, the, the humor at the end. Um, yeah, it's good. They suit each other really well. And it only lasts for, as, as you say, it only lasts for the last five pages of your Kindle version. But it's it's almost for me it felt like enough any, any i think it's just because it is a like the whole book like for 500 pages we've been wondering if this is a relationship that would work yeah and then in the last five pages you do see it's a relationship that will work yeah <laughs> and then exactly. you're like oh i want more of it but that is a good place to be as a reader like you always want more you don't want to be tired of these characters by the end yeah i am um, so i hugged my book at the end Oh, you did? I was, oh. Yeah, I was in the sitting room and Jack and Pierre were in there and I finished and I went, oh, it's so lovely. And I closed it and I like, I was just kind of holding it. I didn't know. I was really portraying myself in a sad light. But yeah, I just, uh. I just thought it was really romantic and lovely. Yeah. I like that um, Kira Bell said, also, I like the end part where they humorously mocked each other's relations with that man and that woman. They suit each other so well, even though it's, yeah, the, only, the last five pages. Yeah, that woman. That woman. You know, talking about what Mrs. Thornton will say. 
Uh, I want to. Well, I do want to read that. I would like to read the five pages of what Mrs. Thornton will say. <laughs> um, Andrea shared a couple of points just about why the ending feels so rushed, and this is really interesting. Um, mm. So apparently, Gaskell was originally rushed when she published in Household Words, uh, and then when she republished North and South, she chose to leave the ending as it was. So you know, you were saying about obviously how she's added in the chapters. Andrea is sharing this quote from Gaskell saying, just at the very last, I was compelled to desperate compression. But now I am not sure when the barrier gives way between two such characters as Mr. Thornton and Margaret, it would not all, it would not go all smash in a moment. And I don't feel quite certain that I dislike the end as it now stands. So it's like, she didn't want to necessarily write it like this. Like she had to, she had to wrap it up, but actually, in hindsight, maybe maybe this is exactly how the characters would get together. Yeah, it's very that's natural. true. Um, that's good. I, you know, that does happen. That's like the reality of writing. Like sometimes you are just pressed for time, and sometimes you have to make decisions. And like, and we do, you know, as readers, question authors, and like, why do they make certain decisions? And sometimes it's like, yeah, practical things like this. Like, it was for time. It was for space. Mm-hmm. And then in hindsight, you're like, well, you know what? Maybe it was, actually it was that Charles forcing Dickens me into action point. is, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but also Charles Dickens was very, like, he wanted it to be more focused on the the North and South, the political aspects of the book. He did not really care for all the... He didn't care for the Thornton bits. He didn't care for all the pining and the romance. He's wrong. He was wrong. Who even reads wrong. Charles Dickens? I don't know. Who is he? I've barely Who's heard of guy? him. <laughs> Who is he? Whatever. <laughs> He's just jealous because, I mean, Margaret, or not Margaret, Elizabeth Gaskell writing those Thornton bits. That's some, it's just some damn fine writing. Yeah, it's so good. So he just wishes he could make women swoon like that. Like Mr. Thornton, like there is not a single Jane Austen, like man that comes close. It's true. Like there just isn't. (sighs) Apart from maybe Captain Wentworth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Captain Wentworth has like shades of Thornton. Yeah. You know, yeah, he does have the same sort of pining, but oh man. But yeah, Thornton's, he's a great guy. Thornton. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Carly raises the point just um, saying I really liked how Mr Lennox knew before they knew that they would get together and quietly removed himself from their presence I never really had a high opinion of him until this so for you Carly this is why we're moving him back down to the sad lad (laughs) because you're right he redeemed himself he did he did Uh, we had some Um, great comments about the burnt cat Oh, you jumped in there this week about the burnt cat. You were like really disturbed, weren't you? I just, I thought it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. I was just like, yeah, this is out of the blue. I, I just really, really like, really I really like it way. when stuff is just like, burnt cat. You're like the last thing you were going to expect from this book <laughs> was someone being like, my next door neighbor set my cat on fire because <laughs> of a gypsy. Like, don't you think as well that it reinforces the idea that um, Margaret sees, like Margaret, and also to a point, I would say Gaskell, that these just these little woodland creatures. 
the people of the forest. They're like fairy people. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. just like with these pagan, they keep saying pagan, like just live in the forest, they're just burning cats. Uh, Yeah. send, Send them to the church school, you know. Well, also too, like I feel like Margaret felt like she had such a civilized life, you know. Yeah. In the South. And then she comes back and she's like, oh, yeah, there were these cat burners. I forgot about that. Um, Deaths. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> so many deaths. Uh, Sarah, again, good Lord. This book has one heck of a body count. It's sad and illuminating. You know about the mortality rates and the shortened lifespans, but I don't think I ever really read a book that gave such a sense of living constantly in the valley of the shadow of death, as it were. Um, also, is it just me or is Margaret never given up enough time to deal with her feelings? She's not. I mean, finally, she goes to the seaside and just has some time to just stare at some waves. Margaret, which she really needs. Margaret specifically doesn't think about her feelings, though. Like, it's true. She does not think about anything. She needs to deal with them. Like, I just I would love to have a sit down with her. Yeah. You know, um, Kimberly said, as soon as I finished, I began longing for a sequel. And I actually felt exactly the same way. Yeah. <laughs> because I would love a sequel about Margaret and Thornton, like making it work in Milton and like setting up a new business. <laughs> uh, I'm not there for that. I am fine. And Mrs. I'm Thornton. No, because I, I also need to know about Mrs. Thornton and Margaret's relationship post-marriage as well. Does this Is this why I haven't, like, I don't care. I do. <laughs> like, but you've also read all of the sequel books and the prequel books and the spin-off books for, like, Jane Austen stuff, haven't you? Some stuff. Not all of them. There's far too many to read all of them. I've read a few, though. I think yes. the bit in my brain that makes you, like, I don't know. I just, I don't care for a spin-off. I am, I am very much a person that enjoys, like, I enjoy TV more than I enjoy films. Like, I don't. You know, I love the continuation of things. Mm -hmm. I love staying with characters. So, yeah, I wish, you know, and and that's not unheard of for Gaskell. I mean, she wrote a lot of Cranford. You returned, constantly returned to Cranford in those characters. Yeah. Come on, Gaskell. Also, some of my favorite books when I was a kid were these, like, 22 book series set in fantasy lands. So, and they are are just about, like, the descendants of the descendants of the descendants yeah in the first book so you do like you really dig in with those yeah yeah right but basically i'm I'm happy with i'm happy with north and south but mrs thornton and mrs thornton i'd be more than happy with like an snl skit maybe (laughs) it's a bit niche but uh, a little bit a little bit a little bit niche i just i don't think i could sit through another book of margaret you know this is this oh is yeah, it's hard. It is that it, it, Margaret is the hardest part to sit through. It's true. Also, they'd probably um, have a child die. Oh God! If I was writing their book, that would be what would happen. They'd be really happy. They, the mill would be prosperous, and then um, they'd lose a child in the Purple River. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks for bringing it down. <laughs> but come on, that is what would happen. That's true. I mean, it would probably have just as as high of a body count, right? Honestly. But the bodies are smaller. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, <dear>. so <laughs> so um, Nikita Harvey said something on Twitter that I actually was also thinking. Um, at the end of this book, I was like, "Oh, how much is this reminding you of Jane Eyre?" Yeah, 
Yeah. I didn't think about that. She's an heiress. She comes to save her hero. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, great. Yeah, totally. Same ending, basically. But, you know, Thornton doesn't lose a hand and an eye and, you know. Yeah. And he's he's just like a much better person than Rochester. Yeah. And actually, so. like, that is an ending that's like massively dragged out. Yeah, it is. Like, <laughs> that, that ending could be five pages long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. We need something like in between. <laughs> So um, I like that Caroline Booth's comment uh, that Edith is annoying got a lot of got a lot of likes. She is. Yeah, she is. I mean, I think exactly what you said about Edith was right. This is the beginning and the end of Edith. Yeah. She's nothing to offer. Yeah. Trudy says and that she and she knows it. Trudy sh- says that she's a great foil for Margaret. So clueless to anything beyond social posturing and her own needs. It's true. It did make me want to see their relationship more before yeah. um, when they Edith got married. Like, yeah, like I was like, oh, now this makes me really wonder what the relationship was like between like nine and 19. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah. And if she was always this annoying or. I feel like I feel like she always was. And I then- wonder, too, if like. Margaret realized it like later, you know, if she didn't realize it when she was young. So Teresa says, um, I definitely like to think Edith sweetened the idea of Milton for Margaret. <laughs> like, I love the idea of Margaret just being like, oh, sweet God, give me the North. I've just got to get away from my cousin. <laughs> These people are the worst. Like, uh, you know, Mr. Bell doesn't want to stay in the house with them. No. So. There's got to be something going on there. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Lauren, there's two uh, things I want to talk to you about. Because I think that's it for listener comments. So we mm-hmm, were talking about mm-hmm. this off mic. One. Okay. Mr. Bell. The Mr. Bell apology. Yeah. <laughs> now, riddle me this, listeners. I'm not sorry. <laughs> I think Mr. Bell proposes to Margaret in the TV show. And let me know if I'm wrong. But basically, I read this whole book knowing, like, more than I've known anything in my life, there was a surety there that um, Mr. Bell was going to propose to Margaret and say to her, actually, instead of being my ward, why don't you be my wife? Because then you can have the money now. I think I thought that's what the conversation was going that to That may be. have happened in the, in the TV show. I'm okay, it happened in the TV show. So, yeah, so basically when I went on my Mr. Bell rant, um, that's what I was alluding to. But it turns out, right. not in the text, not in the source material, I'm the captain of banging on about sticking to what's in the book and going by that. And I've learned my lesson. So I can only mm-hmm. apologise for my Mr. Bell tirade last week. But then speaking of things that are in the adaptation... <laughs> there are t- yeah, there's another thing that we think happened in the adaptation... <laughs> Lauren, you can you can go. <laughs> oh my god! Well, the other night Hannah was like, "Wait, am I crazy, or was there a scene in the adaptation where um, Thornton and Margaret are at the like they're at the the great exhibition at right? Crystal Palace? At Crystal Palace, and like their eyes meet across the room, and I was like." Yeah, I I was like, I was reading North and South, like waiting for Margaret to go. Yeah. 
And I'm like, did this happen there? And then <laughs> Is to, this another book? What happened? To make it even weirder, I rewatched North and South with Chloe last year. And that scene was not in it the second time I watched it on Netflix. So I watched it when it first came out, I think. Or I watched yes. it, you know, like I I watched it and it wasn't on Netflix. It was just on like regular telly. And mm-hmm. then when I watched it on Netflix with Chloe, I was waiting for that scene and it wasn't there. Did it happen, guys? Did I leave the room or... And I know... Netflix Someone on the Facebook it, page right? did say that there are scenes missing from the Netflix series, which got like God, why? Yeah, like why? What is going on? That it's what? Yeah, I feel like Netflix is gaslighting me because <laughs> the TV show adds a scene that isn't in the book. So then, when I rewatch the TV show, the scene's missing. So then, I'm convinced it's a different adapt. It's a different book that it happens in. And then I said to Lauren, like, oh, is this the thing? And Lauren was like, we can't both have imagined the same (laughs) scene in the same series, can we? And it was a lot. So does anyone else remember seeing that scene? Bring it back. Like, Why has it been cut? Right. And we would have researched this, except for we were just too busy writing our notes for this. (laughs) We don't need to research it. It's like the hive mind. Like, we pose the question and we give you Yeah, it's true. Right? Fair enough. We are going to have more North and South talk because we are going to have um, a special guest on the show, Trudy, who is in our Facebook group. Uh, She has written some North and South sequels. She has a great North and South blog. Um, We're going to break down some more North and South thoughts. But then also, we're going to have another special guest on that episode. Hey. Would you like to tell people about that special guest? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I forgot that. <laughs> so uh, you might have seen on on the Twitter and on the Facebook that I was asking for your favorite North and South lines. Well, it just so happens that at the restaurant I used to work at and have now left, um, there is a handsome young man called Zach who's got a lovely Northern accent and he has read some of Thornton's lines for us. So we're going to be including those. So we'll have a little bit of living Thornton for you all to <laughs> imagine. I don't, I don't know why we're doing this. But basically, I was, why not? I was reading the book at work and then I just looked at him and I was like, Zach, Zach, read this. Because I was trying to cast him for my Bad Lads episode, but that accent oh, just doesn't, yeah. it doesn't work for any of the Bad Lads. So I was like, give Thornton a go. And it's, yeah. And it works. It works. Because, like, Hannah just sent me a voice memo, and I just, like, out of context. Like, she was just like, listen to this. And I was like, oh, it works. So one last thing I would like to say before we sign off here in this extra long episode um, is that it was Thanksgiving last week, and um, lovely Library Mary posted this message in our Facebook group. Do you remember it? I do. I was so touched. Okay. So Mary posted the most thoughtful message in our Facebook group. I loved it. She said, when I was 12, my favorite aunt gave me the complete novels of Emily and Charlotte Bronte for Christmas. You know, sidebar, missing Anne, but I'm hoping that you've made up for that since. 
Um, she is visiting for Thanksgiving, so we listened to the podcast while we ran last minute errands. I told her how that gift sparked a lifelong love of 19th century British literature and that I had found this delightful community of like-minded women online. She was thrilled to hear that we'd all found each other and that Lauren and Hannah have created this community. So this Thanksgiving, I'm thankful for y'all and keep up the good work. Oh, it's so nice. Thank you. <laughs> so, so nice. <laughs> it's funny because we don't, um, a lot of the podcasts that I listen to will do like a weekly mail call. Um, mm-hmm. And I just feel like we interact with all of you guys so much that kind of it becomes unnecessary like yeah it's hard it's like it's already like been dealt with by the time we actually like go go to record yeah but messages like it's so yeah it's just it's lovely to hear it's it's nice to know that people are listening and enjoying the show and that there's a sense of community there and on the same strain um shout out to amanda um who listened to one of our episodes and she says well her and her mother cleaned their place and set up the christmas tree and it stopped her from completely stressing out and that um her mum wanted to make sure we were all coming to the jane austen festival and then your mum was worried that we didn't have any money because we don't, <laughs> don't get paid for the podcast we're fine we don't have money we don't <laughs> we don't have money and it's certainly a strain on my social life but it's it's all good <laughs> it's gonna be fine we're, we'll be fine we we're sound, gonna make do it we sound stressed do we sound stressed no it's fine. i mean you know <laughs> <laughs> that's so sweet i am really really happy that a community is growing because i think that's what you and i are all about we're all about fostering community we never wanted to sort of just do this in a bubble mm-hmm. and just talk at you even though i joke about that sometimes i do really value everyone's input and opinions and it does really make my day, um, you know, in the morning when I look up and like read, you know, all your comments on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And um, yeah, and I just I'm, you know, <laughs> when we went around the table, at, like our thanks, our family Thanksgiving dinner, um, and we like all talk about what we're thankful for. I was just very much like, I'm thankful for my podcast, guys. <laughs> <laughs> None of you listen. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, I am really, I'm really, really thankful for this podcast. Um, I've alluded to stuff. I, I have not talked about it directly and I don't want to bore you guys with it. I bore Hannah with it off mic all day long. But um, I've just had a bunch of like health issues and like a lot of stressful stuff this year. Are you still talking about this? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so bored. And, um, and a Windows antivirus warning that just popped up um anyway i've had a bunch of like stressful you know shit go on this year and um actually this podcast has been such a relief for me like i really really look forward to recording it um every week and it just there has been times like it has actually just like kept me going so i am really 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 thankful for this community and um i really appreciate hannah and i really appreciate all of you for listening so, yeah, yeah i guess you guys, on that note i guess you guys are fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty pretty cool yeah and on that note <laughs> <laughs> bye oh wait should, bye guys <laughs> should we say what people can find us?